Thank you, Frank, so much for that introduction. And uh, thank you for asking me to do this because uh, it caused me to go and search my heart and kind of dig into uh, just some things that the Lord has done. And, and, and sometimes we forget, you know, we forget all the beautiful things that God has done and we are, we take it for granted. Um, so I got to kind of go on a heart search and go back in time. And I, I have to give you a little bit about where I was before in order to help you appreciate what the journey's done for me. So, so I'm gonna just I'm gonna take you back a little bit. Um, I just want to tell you that um, when I was 13 years old, I made a decision for Christ, and it was a it was a very real moment. It was at a um, <laughs> it was over at the First Baptist Broken Arrow at a tent revival that they used to do tent revivals in the in the back parking lot, and I'd been wrestling with this thing called accepting Christ and. Uh, Finally, even though I didn't really understand it, I, I prayed a prayer with a man and asked Jesus to come be my Lord and Savior. And it was very real. I was a blubbering young 13-year-old. And uh, so I, I just know it was real. And I know it was real because because even though I had no guidance, nobody reinforcing it, uh, nobody discipling me, nobody uh, walking with me, I was never part of a, a youth group, his light was in my heart, All even through, you know, through my years of uh being a crazy high school teenager and partying all the way into college at Oklahoma State, um, uh, and then met my wife Missy there, and then on into the working world. But just really, uh, I would say I was a believer for sure, but I wasn't a follower of Jesus because I had no idea what that looked like. So it wasn't until 30 years old, and so I'm going to take you back to 1996 for a second. Uh, I was we had, had just joined Kirk of the Hills Presbyterian, and uh, it was the first church that really. Uh, really challenged us uh, to get into God's word, uh, was challenging us to this different life, a more of a deeper walk with Christ. Uh, I still didn't have any clue what it looked like and, and didn't understand it. But I went to this Promise Keeper event. It happened to be the same year that we had our first child, Natalie. And uh, so God was starting to get my attention. Um, and, uh, and I just saw this in the bulletin and I decided, you know, I liked football. I liked sports and it was at Texas Stadium. And I loved, I appreciated that Bill McCartney, I knew who that was, the you know, founder of, of, or the former coach of University of Colorado. So anyway, I went to this deal and, and God really rocked my world and just kind of opened me. It was like every speaker was speaking to me and it was like it opened me up to this uh, new life and something more out there. So I really started my journey, real journey of trying to be a follower of Christ there. Got into an accountability group, uh, started reading God's word for the first time. Um, and I was just really chasing after God at that point. I, instead of the things I was chasing after, I really turned and I started chasing after God. And then, and over time, God blessed that. And he, and he put me in leadership positions at my church in charge of the men's ministry and led many men's uh, retreats, uh, started kind of leading our small group. Um, I would lead prayer groups. Uh, I'd lead Promise Keeper trips because I thought everybody needs to go to Promise Keepers because you got to get a taste of what I got a taste of. Um, so I just was really busy doing a lot of activities and chasing after uh, trying to be useful to God, if you will. And uh, somewhere along the way, me and a few other guys started uh, Tulsa Men of Christ, if you guys remember that. And that was really just designed to be a network of men 
that we could kind of inform about good men's things going on, including Promise Keepers in Tulsa and other places and send them a daily scripture every day and um, all those kind of things. But, you know, in, in light of all that, there was still something missing. I kind of think about uh, the song uh, has always resonated with me by you two. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, there was something I was still longing and looking for, and I didn't really know what it was. And I look back and I was just thinking about uh, just a few observations back at that point. Events were good, but they weren't lasting. Most groups that I've been part of were horizontal and they, but they, and they weren't life giving really. Um, and I just observed men and not being judgmental, but I looked around at most men I knew in the church. And, I, and by the time, and for, after a while, I met a lot of men from different churches. So it wasn't just limited to Kirk of the Hills. It was everywhere. Most men I saw, and I love the quote, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I think that's what I felt I saw. Uh, most men were double-minded. Um, they, they weren't consistent in their lives. Most men were not in God's word. I could just tell because you'd talk about God's word and they kind of like, would say, yeah, I probably should do that. Um, I do think a lot of men are, were orphans, are orphans. They weren't, they didn't understand that they had a heavenly father that had adopted them. But let's not point at everybody else. I'll tell you where I was at that point. Even though I was doing all this activity for the Lord and felt like I was doing a lot of good things and was useful, I was still wrestling with sin all the time, always wrestling with sin. I was also wrestling with a calling into ministry, calling into a deeper calling. And that and I was just wrestling with it all the time. Anyone who knows me well knows about that. Um, I was wrestling between the world and the word. <laughs> you know, I just, I still kind of held on to this idea of what the world told you success was and what the, the great life, the good life is. And then this life of the word of sacrifice and, and laying your life down and carrying your cross. I didn't really get it. I was just wrestling all the time. So I, I want to, I, you know, I dug into my box of journals and I pulled out my journal just to give you a little flavor for where I was. And this is back. I'm going to take you back to July 4th, 2005, 4th of July, 2005. And I, and I, the night before I had just watched the movie National Treasure. You guys remember that movie with Nicolas Cage? Anyway, let me just read it a little bit. I'm on my own treasure hunt. And uh, it's interesting that today's key passage was John 15 about the vine. For that passage in Bruce Wilkinson's book, Secrets of the Vine, profoundly influenced me and launched my treasure hunt. It was the idea that God wanted to bear much fruit in my life. I wanted to reject the idea for the voices of condemnation and discouragement and fear always try to hold me back. But God awakened me to a vision that I had a treasure to find. It's strange how the thoughts I've been wrestling with are all culminating in this movie. I've been desperately seeking independence. I've been forging a path toward this freedom. Like Ben Gates in the movie, he says, when you go on the treasure hunt, few will understand or join you. It doesn't make sense. But uh, one of the big steps in my treasure hunt was stepping out of the door of Sigma Sales, which was the business that I, that I was running. I just felt like I, he was calling me out of it, which I didn't fully understand. On the other side of that door, more clues await. In the practical realm, however, I have financial considerations, business considerations, I want to be wise, but I also want to find the treasure. I'm believing if God created the treasure, he told me about it and is guiding me toward it. Doesn't he want me to find it? So what is this treasure? It's where my gifts, passions, and desires line up with God's will for my life and where they meet the world's needs. So then um, let me fast 
forward over to uh, November 3rd of 2005. And I kept, it's interesting that I kept talking about this treasure hunt because uh, I don't know if you remember this, but on Rocky's book, Journey to the Inner Chamber, the byline is discovering the treasure of the universe. And this is all before I ever even knew anything about Rocky or the journey. But I met Rocky because of my involvement with the PK event over here in Northwest Arkansas. And I, I had been driving, I'd helped plan that event. And I was driving over two or three days a week to Northwest Arkansas, meeting with businessmen and prayer meetings with the founders of Dayspring Greeting Cards. And I was getting to know all these people over here. And I didn't even know anything about this world over here in Northwest Arkansas. And Rocky was over here starting the journey, you know, and I had no idea who Rocky was. But um, there was a day, November 3rd, 2005, that I drove over to Salem Springs, Arkansas, to sit in on a meeting uh, of this process called The Journey. And uh, Rocky was there, and there was a bunch of guys uh, having a meeting. And I wrote, today I was beckoned to go to the promised land, Arkansas. I used to call it the promised land when I would drive over because it was so pretty over here. I knew I was supposed to come. Rocky confirmed it. I'm seeking clarity once again in so many thoughts and frustrations. I'm sitting here on this journey group, and the topic is personal abandonment. One man talked about how unanswered prayer shows you a lot about yourself. The answer to every prayer is yes, no, wait, or I can't. What am I doing to prevent his working? So they were talking about um, God is able, and they were talking about what's blocking your communion with God. And I'm, I'm just sitting in, you know, me and a few other guys were just sitting in on this meeting. And Rocky was there, and I ended up going and talking to him afterwards or whatever. Um, and so, uh, you know, this idea, he kind of got to know me, and this idea was birthed that maybe maybe we could do a journey group in Tulsa, because he seemed to think that uh, I was hungry, and there was a lot of men over there. So uh, I'm still wrestling. And then you go to November 23rd of 2005. I wrote, these mornings, uh, I open God's word with great anticipation. The key verse is loud and clear this morning. As a matter of fact, it's on the page before this on my last journal entry. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That verse has spoken to me time and time again. As I sit here this morning, I think I've gotten this verse backwards. Give me the desires of my heart and I will delight in you. What a selfish thought. My desires may not be pure or line up with his desires unless I deeply delight in the Lord first. I feel certain that the journey is what I need. I don't need another feel-good, pump-me-up seminar or conference. I need to learn how to delight in the Lord. I need to spend more time in His love. I'm so performance-oriented, just like Rocky described himself when he was my age. He's so much like me. I've got to spend more time with Him. He can teach me much. So this is back, you know, in the early days. And so let me take you to February 21st, 2006. It, we were doing the final... Uh, introductory session of the journey we'd assembled some guys together so i wrote this february 21st 2006 the journey grows ever closer today's our final introductory meeting the schedule's been created the men are falling in line and i see god forging a path to great blessing as rocky commented last week it seems a great tremor is about to shake tulsa however it must stay underground as the pressure builds until just the right time I see God calling the men forward. I see him equipping me to lead. It was no accident that Evans was put in my heart to be my co-leader. It was providence. I felt it and I see it now. I see guys like Jimmy Rogers and Todd Kramer, and I know God is birthing something huge. I didn't even know that I'd been uh, searching for a model to help other men, but God did. More confirmation for the journey. It's the destiny of my heart's desire to help men. Big surprise that I wrote a piece one time uh, describing the spiritual walk, and I entitled it The Journey. <laughs> it's all coming together, the treasure hunt, 
is on. I don't know what to make of the testing and the emptiness and disappointments this past year. I'll never fully understand or grasp God's love and purposes. But as Paul, I strain ahead with perseverance and strength. I want to bear fruit, first and foremost, in my family. So anyway, it was, uh, I look back, it was just a treasure to go back and think about those times and kind of where I was and all this wrestling that was going on. And God, everything I had been doing, God was setting me up to meet Rocky and find out about this journey process. And uh, so, so let me say, what has this meant to me since? A lot, a lot has happened since that first journey group back in 2006. A lot has happened. And I was just trying to think about it as I summarize it. <clears throat> I think I want to put it this way. I, I was reading a verse the other day. I was really chewing on this, but Acts 8, 14 through 17 says, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. And here's what I think. I think there's so many men out there that uh, were like me. They, they have received Christ. They, they've asked Christ in their heart. And when you ask Christ to come in your heart, he comes. And since Christ and the Holy Spirit are one, the Holy Spirit comes into your life when you receive him. But there's more. There's more. And, you know, different Bible scholars have talked about this more, and, they, and it has to do with the Holy Spirit. There's, there's a reference called being endued with the Spirit, which means to endow or provide with a quality or ability. You've heard being empowered by the Spirit. You've heard of being filled with the Spirit. If you've been through the journey, you know the sailboat analogy and all that, being filled with the Spirit. Uh, they talk about being imparted the Spirit, being bestowed the Holy Spirit. There's another uh, scholars that talk about a released Holy Spirit, a released spirit in your life. Um, Titus 3, 4 through 6 says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Rocky in the journey, he he labeled it enabling the Holy Spirit. If you abide in Christ, you start bearing fruit, which enables the Holy Spirit to come alive in your life. So as I think about, I just summed it up, the journey helps believers learn how to abide so they can now live spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-released, spirit-renewed, spirit-enabled lives. And that's that's the key. I mean, that is, you know, when you start living a spirit-led life, your old self gets put to death and you start living a new life. And it takes you on all sorts of adventures. You like going, like Chris and I can talk about going into some strange hospital situations and praying for sick people or dying people. Uh, you, you do some strange things with your money when you're living a spirit-led life. You, you don't really care that much about saving up X amount of dollars for your retirement. You start saying, who cares? It's all yours, Lord. You start giving, giving things away sacrificially you start putting your family your your wife ahead of you instead of wanting her to serve you you start putting her ahead of you you start putting your kids ahead of your own needs crazy things happen when a man starts following the holy spirit because it's the heart of god living his life through regular guys like us um i just summed up a couple benefits of the journey what the journey has meant to me it's helped me see that i'm not just a servant but a son the journey has helped me find the real church described in Acts 2, 42 through 47. 
prayer, fellowship, the word, meeting each other's needs, communion with the spirit, power. The journey has helped me love my wife more unconditionally and sacrificially. The journey has helped me show my kids so much more grace and to help feed them God's word. The journey has helped me find my spiritual gifts and has fanned into flame, fanned them into flame to use them more boldly. The journey has helped me quit trying to live by the world and squeeze my faith into that worldview. It's helped me to die to the old worldview and live a radical spirit-led life. I finally have found the abundant life that Jesus talked about, and it has nothing to do with money. The journey helped me find my purpose and contentment and peace and an end to the wrestling that I talked about that I went on for so long. And the journey has given me an incredible tool and a platform to live out my heart to help change the world one man at a time. And I'm going to close with this uh, thought. I, this really hit me the other day. I was just I was thinking about the influencers organization and you know wh where are we heading and this thing just keeps growing and and you know I'm the organizational leader so it's like wow we need to get some more organization maybe another layer of leadership or oversight to help all the regional directors. I need to we need to make Frank a, a national director you know and let him serve whatever you know. I was just thinking about these things corporately if you will. And God kind of reminded me of our true org chart in influencers. And he gave me a vision and it's an upside down org chart. And it's Jesus, the vine with the branches coming off of it. And there's a branch called influencers Tulsa. There's a branch called influencers, Northwest Arkansas. There's a branch called influencers, Orange County, influencers, Bakersfield, California. And it's all organic. But if we get away from the, the vine, the source, the fuel, the power of this ministry, if we go try to create fruit or create branches, We'll snuff the whole thing out. But if we stay close to the vine, it's beautiful things happen. And I was just having this strange thought, but I was thinking about this. The whole thing started in a garden. This whole thing started with one man in a garden, Adam, with Jesus in a garden, in perfect oneness with the Father, perfect unity with God. It was beautiful. He was abiding with God every day. And then, as you know, sin screwed the whole thing up. And he and his wife got kicked out of the garden and swords were drawn and they were preventing anybody from going back in. And then you fast forward so many thousands of years later and Jesus gives him the last word and he takes him back to a garden image and says, I'm the vine and you're my branches. Come back to me. And then he's like saying, come back to paradise. Come back to where you all began. And, and all of a sudden, some beautiful things will happen. And then all of a sudden, your life will help grow this garden called the kingdom, you know, and then, and then you'll reach other people and you'll bring other people back into this, into this communion. And that's what the journey has been all about. Um, and that's what happens. You know, you guys are your own, you guys are branches. I'm a branch and God intended for us to bear fruit, you know, as you guys know, and the first place he bears it. it I think about our families are like gardens too. And so we are like, we're not only branches, but we're like assistants to the gardener uh, to help tend to the garden. So, so we got to be tending to our gardens at home, you know, making sure our wives are doing okay, making sure our kids are doing okay, you know, seeing where some pruning is needed, seeing where some fertilizing is needed, where some watering is needed. And, uh, and that's kind of what we do. Um, but also another, the last thing I'll say is, uh, there's a gardening, uh, another gardening reference, if you will, or, to a tree. And this is in Isaiah 61. I'll close with this. 
And this is what I think has happened through the journey, is happening through the journey and through, through abiding. Uh, this is uh, in Psalm, uh, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And as I look at all you guys, I see oaks of righteousness. He has raised you guys up. He's raised me up. And we people are drawn to us because they say there's something about those guys and I want what they have. And uh, so I just say, keep being oaks of righteousness. Keep, keep staying close to him and you'll bear the kind of fruit that he wants. You'll understand that verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It only comes there. We, if we go try to manufacture it, if we go try to do a bunch of good works, you'll miss it. But if we get out of the way and come close to him, then we become those oaks of righteousness. That's how it close. Thank you very much.